Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Welcome, welcome. Amanda and Amanda, we both had a few moments when we saw that on the calendar, like, (laughs) who are we? What are we talking about? Um, Amanda and I both are in a, uh, we met through a new certification course that we're in, but that is not why you're here. You are here because you made a comment, I think, in our, must have been in our group, right? There was it, yeah, Mm -hmm. about um, receipt, like finally being, uh, correct me if I'm saying the words wrong, finally being diagnosed with PMDD and what a game changer it was for you once you had that diagnosis and could use the appropriate tools. And my brain was like, this is exactly what we're talking about in my new membership space where we're talking about the layers of reproductive health and struggle and misunderstanding and misdiagnosis um, that happened for us as these uterine bodied people. And so I then said, do you want to come share your story about PMDD with my group, my audience? Um, Because I'm sure there are people who will resonate with. So that's how we landed here. (laughs) Do you want to just quickly introduce who you are or or not? Yeah, well, um, well, my name's Amanda Grace. I am, um, you know, from and living here in Ireland, in mm-hmm. County Clare. And um, like yourself, I'm a life coach. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have, I, I, I love helping women. Like I feel very passionately about the state of women's inner lives. And so I help them. Um, create inner lives that uh, they don't want to or need to escape from Mm, I'm writing those words down inner lives that they don't want to or have to escape from yeah yeah Yeah. see I'm an artist Amanda as well and when people would ask me what kind of artist I am I would kind of like you know uh, playfully I would tell them I'm a I'm an escape artist um and I wasn't joking um you know so I know all about trying to escape myself. And so, um, yeah, I just hope women stop trying to escape themselves. That's beautiful. Um, I think too, and maybe this is too much information because we have never talked before. Um, This is the first where we've actually had a conversation. Um, Your name really sparked something for me because my background work is around abortion and helping people after abortion. Um, and my, when I had my abortion, I really identified with this, like that pregnancy and I actually named her Grace. So mm-hmm. when I see Amanda Grace, I'm like, mm-hmm. there's a spark there. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I 
really feel like grace came to me so that I could talk about reproductive rights and reproductive justice and help people heal after abortion. Um, so that's a little yeah. side note that when I saw your name, I was like, we need to have a talk. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's, to connect. it's more than a side note, like, because what you say there is so true. Like when, when somebody um, is pregnant and then is no longer pregnant for whatever reason, um, it's so jarring to the body and mind and soul. And there's so much, um, it, it can be a very alienating and disenfranchising feeling to, you know, um, what would I say? Like to, to lose your pregnancy as such, uh, whether that was a conscious choice or not. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I, I do believe that it's the same kind of grieving process that happens afterwards and then physical process, whatever happens to the body. It yeah. was a pregnancy and pregnancy loss that kicked off my, all my problems. Interesting. Yeah. And so like, you're right in that having had the experience ourselves, we can come to realize how very, very alienating and isolating it can be. And especially yeah. if there's any kind of, and of course there is, you know, anywhere there's women, there's fucking shame around our stories. The shame then of ending, ending up with some kind of a hormonal fucking mood disorder. And then having all of your reproductive history called into account and into question and like, can I not just, you know, like, can you not scrutinize me, please? Can you just listen yeah. Yeah. And, and help me find my way back from this? Yeah. Do you mind sharing what you mean when you say that that pregnancy loss kicked off the symptoms? Yeah, so I, di I didn't actually... Um, put two and two together for a while but I was blogging at the time and um so in 2016 and I was 40 I was 40 mm -hmm. and I I got pregnant in the March roughly of that year mm -hmm. and so um I wait did like you say 2017 16 16 okay yeah, well, my abortion was in March of 2017. And I was like, this story is just getting weirder. <laughs> well, I had a second pregnancy in 2017, but it all it started in 2016 after yeah. my first pregnancy and first loss. And then I didn't recognize it because there was all of the complexity of the loss and the confusion yeah. and all of that happening. And then, of course, the no matter at what point, like you know, people are like, oh, how far gone are you? You know, so no matter what point or how you have come to not be pregnant anymore, there is just something, like I said, it's so alienating and isolating and shame, you know, like it's like your responsibility, even the word, um, like the, the, the language, all the language around it even is, is so shaming and blaming towards the mother. So there was so much going on in my life that it was masking like I had lots of reasons to be fucking moody, in other words. Yes, totally. You know what I mean? Totally. And, <laughs> and it was my, my husband who actually detected the pattern. Uh, I love this. Yeah. So he was like, this seems to happen every time, you know, when you're around that time of the month, he'd say yeah. when you're getting, this seems to be, is the, are you sure it's not PMS? And I'd be like, 
It's not. It's real. It's real. It's really happening. As if and, PMS wasn't real, you know. So, but I know what you mean. Yes, it's not just PMS because right. up until that point, in my experience, PMS had a was cramping, bloating, all the physical symptoms, and then maybe some crankiness or tiredness. Yeah, but this was different. Mm-hmm. This was this was an absolute like absorption. Like Amanda, whoever Amanda was, was gone. When PMDD showed up, I would be lost to it and I would lose, not connection with reality, but like whatever bit of hope I had of filtering the negative mind, Mm -hmm. the whole of my health, Mm -hmm. I lost that ability Mm -hmm. in an an episode. And then, of course, that started to... um, and because I was blogging as well, I have kind of record of me mentioning it, mm. calling it all different types of things. Like I would call it like self-attack and I would call it, I was reading like the, I don't know if you know the book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, what does the yeah. story in Bluebeard? And I was like, well, it's Bluebeard, it's this, it's that. Yeah. So I, I never had a, I had my own names for the entity yeah. and it became an entity, Amanda, is what it became. Yeah. It was something we lived with, both of us. And when it came to town, oh, I'm so I'm so fortunate that I'm married to somebody who is a very even-tempered, grounded, regulated person. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't get triggered by my madness. Yeah, yeah. I have so many things to say. First, can you just, for people who are listening and they're still curious, but they don't really know what PMDD is, can you explain what PMDD is? To whatever knowledge you have, I know you're not like, well, I don't think you're a medical doctor, but I want to know for for a listener, what is PMDD and how is it different than PMS? Well, what you might hear people saying is that it's a very severe form of PMS. Yes, but I think I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, but I don't think that is helpful because it's still, the reference point is still PMS, which is a very common and normal uh, phenomenon that us women are all used to. Uh, uh, premenstrual stress is, is normal for all the world. This is actually a mood disorder. This mm-hmm. isn't a, a, nor, a, a, you know, a severe form of PMS. It is... Um, yeah, a, a um, I used to call it extreme PMS. So it's it's probably how we come to the diagnosis is by being like this is extreme PMS. Right. But anyway, um, so is it be, still because- pre? Isn't it? I, honestly, I don't even know that it's premenstrual dis. Oh, dis- sorry, it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Dysphoric disorder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So dysphoria or dysphoric is mood. Um, do you know what I mean? So like it's a mental state and it's a profound sense of unease or dissatisfaction. So dysphoria is um, like a, a, where there is dysphoria, there's clusters of symptoms that include stress, anxiety, depression. And you'll often find substance uh, use and abuse in that area as well. And interestingly, I ended up in 2017 
becoming sober as a result of this. It was so severe that it became life-threatening. Wow. When I introduced alcohol. Wow. So I haven't drank in five years. Is that because you're like already have this dysphoria and then you're adding another layer of like mental uh it's inhibition. Yeah. It was the inhibition that was dangerous because I was wild with rage in in the PMDD. So when I was offline for the want of a better word, um, I was unreachable. Like it was I was irrational, completely irrational. And so when I would drink, then it got to a point when I would drink that I, I actually got a fright because I knew that whatever you know, inhibitions I had left that were keeping me from doing mad things uh, were gone with the alcohol. And I just was, I could not promise that I would not hurt myself or somebody else permanently. And this happens cyclically, just like PMS. Yeah. From what I have heard, it lasts longer than what you might expect from a more classic PMS. Is that, was that your experience? Yes. And also my experience was that it was progressive. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yes. And maybe, maybe it was that it was progressive and maybe it was just that running alongside everything else I was going through because everything else would have been entrepreneurship, sobriety, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, healing from an eating disorder and then the death of my father and uh, two pregnancy losses as well so mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of grieving and a lot of major life events happening at the same time and turning 40 and I was gonna say and your age with yes yeah and then wow. making the decision to not become a mother so there was a lot of really intense stuff going on so whether the progression was something that is I would have experienced, but you see, nothing happens in a vacuum anyway. So life is stressful for all of us. So I don't know, but, um, and especially if this mood disorder is arising from some sort of a reproductive uh, thing, the, the chances are that we're going through something very stressful as women. There's something happening in our lives that is, so the stress of that compounded by my mood disorder so whatever was happening in my brain this inability to regulate any bit of stress then became extra hard to deal with and there seemed to be a a cumulative effect Mm -hmm. eventually leading to burnout and also just like I can't I can't go another round of this yeah um I too am very fortunate to have a husband who pays attention. Just yesterday, I said to him, I got my period, like as if I was confused. And he was like, yeah, obviously. But he didn't say it rudely or anything. He just was like, still confused that I don't know when I'm going to get, like, he knows when I'm ovulating. He knows when I'm going to get, like, he pays much more attention than I do that's not I just don't have a strong calling to like keep track and so it does surprise me (laughs) 
But I too am very fortunate to have a husband who is very supportive, very in tune and very level-headed. And I'm so glad that you had that um, because I can't imagine going through everything you were going through, adding this intense hormonal Mm. dysregulation and not having support. And I'm sure there are many people out there who have that exact formula. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So thank you to him. That's my nod to our husbands. Yes. I never met his mother either. And I often say, thank you, Maggie. (laughs) Yeah. Can you, are you open to sharing some of the things you tried or like how how you tried to manage it like what was the journey of like something's not right to an eventual diagnosis and feeling like you were on could uh I'm gonna use these words but they're they're not maybe the right ones like on the other side of it where you had a you had a um, diagnosis and you had a a plan that worked yes okay all right so the, the one thing that I'll just say is like never underestimate the power of denial. You know, so like how many years I tried to fucking deal with this on my own. You know, and I took responsibility like as in toxic responsibility for it because because it was moved. It kind of tapped into a narrative in my life about being moody. Do you know that kind of a way? So it it was quite damaging to my self-esteem or else it revealed to me the ways in which my self-esteem was hampered by this identifying as a moody kid. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and never really having shaken off that identity as being moody and sensitive and all of that. So there was that. Um, and um, so... Uh, the first year I wasn't really aware of it, you know, because how, how it first started was, like I said, it was hard to see the wood from the trees. Like, what is it? Am I hung over? Because the first year I, I, I was self-medicating with alcohol. Now, I was always a mad drinker. You know, I was always an over drinker or whatever. You, I'm an I'm like a culture. I live in a culture where getting belottoed is normal. Yeah. So. I was always that kind of like, I always drank to get drunk. And so hangovers have been a feature of my life all my life. So at first it looked like, you know, was it hangovers, whatever. And then I would experiment with that and I tried to be walking and I always kind of, bl- I it was always like I blamed myself. It was something that I did mm. that caused this. So for the first year I tried to rein myself in, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and then I would try to diet to feel to make myself feel better. And um, so there was drinking, smoking, dieting, binging, a lot of stuff going on at the time. And as it became more clear, as I stopped drinking then, and that complication was taken out of the equation, but then the added complication of entrepreneurship was brought in at the very same time. Um, but anyway, I'd say in the second year is when the pattern started to become obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I went 
to a doctor. I was living in the north of Ireland at the time. And I remember bringing myself to a doctor who, because I was just transient in that town, I would have had no relationship with. And I kind of got a bit of, there were male doctors and I got a bit of, well, okay, you know, well, what can, you know, it was almost like, oh, please, you know, it's take a fucking Tylenol and you'll be fine kind of a thing, you know? Um, and like that, I was because I had so much shame around my own identity as a moody person and shame about my pregnancy losses and shame as well that because it looked to for all the world to me, it felt very much to me like I just was failing to cope mm-hmm. with life. I was failing to mm-hmm. I, and I was also failing to endure these monthly things like it was it was like as if there was some it was some indication of my weakness as a my weakness of character that I get knocked down every month by this. Yeah. So I tried to take it on the chin for a very long time. If I were just stronger, if I just did the right things, if I took better myself, if I wasn't me. Yeah. If I wasn't me, this wouldn't be happening. Yeah. And the and then, of course, because of, there was so much chaos going on in my nervous system that I knew nothing about. So I knew nothing about nervous system work at this point. And um, like I said, I had body image issues going on, too. So there was a lot of complicating factors. And like this was the perfect storm. So I had a lot of reasons to be in to be arguing with myself. I was in a my relationship with me wasn't in a great state. Yeah. So this particular crisis um capitalized on that yeah (laughs) and I was just at war with myself in a way I'd never Mm -hmm. been before but anyway um, so then after that in the third year I started you know so I started like a lot of walking and then I took up sea swimming and then um it was the sobriety was happening and then it was fucking boatloads of ashwagandha and some other ayurvedic potion yeah. Um I was off coffee. I was on coffee. I spent a fortune on supplements, HTP5, all of the, you know, niacin, everything. I tried all the things. Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um I lay I leaned on therapists. I had a therapist, I had a coach, and I had a spiritual advisor at one point, all holding holding me up. Yeah. Wow. Um and I was making progress. And of course, then I was I was trying to attack it through diet as well, because everywhere you go, someone has an opinion yeah. on what's causing it. So and that fed into my diet shame, my body and food shame as well, because I was like, oh, it's my fault because I'm a fucking sugar eating asshole. Right. Oh, and, you know, I was kind of like then I was told the keto was the answer to all my fucking problems. And so I had like that for a while and got some temporary false happiness because I was losing weight and that was tapping into my diet mentality. And, and then when I gained the weight back, there'd be a fallout. And so it was really just a very clumsy, messy stumbling through Mm. rage and not knowing and falling out with people, losing friends um, and really damaging to my self-esteem and my character because I it felt like I wasn't able to have any consistency in my character. The arse could fall out from under me any fucking moment. And that was terrifying. And I didn't trust myself around people and I didn't want to be around people. Mm. You know, but yeah, 
but um then in like 2019 I started with um because I started with life coaching in 2018 or 2017 it was around this time it all started to happen at the same time then I trained as a coach now mm-hmm. I was already trained as a psychotherapist okay so I had lots of tools mm-hmm. and <laughs> none of them were working as in like I'll mm-hmm. get to that in it's not that the tools don't work it's that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was too dysregulated for them to work they couldn't work so in 2019 I started bringing I started uh, exploring the idea of embodiment and I went to I I hired a one-to-one yoga teacher I was like tell me what the fuck people are talking about when they say get in your body and we started to do that work and it was just a long long painful road of body work mind work soul work dream work mm-hmm. going going to my therapist going to my co- like leaning on everybody and letting these people who I had chosen as my support circle literally just letting them fucking see me at my worst yeah mm-hmm. and I worked all my way through it mm-hmm. so I like I did a, I had a, it was a really heroic effort of surviving something that I didn't fully understand for real yeah and then um I wasn't getting any help medically and um, to make a long story short in 2021, because as you know, my father died in 2019. So that was the year I was getting embodied and I was doing all the keto shit. Then of course, when my dad died, it was fucking donuts all the way. And that brought on like that kind of kicked off an argument within myself as well. So that. But anyway, in 2021, it all came to a climax in that between work and everything else, burnt out. I was really, really burnt out. Grief, everything that had come. And my at this point, my um, the progression of this mood disorder, I had gone from maybe in the beginning, it would have been five or seven days out of the month that I would be offline and gone. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I only had about five to seven good days a month. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it was really and so it's both a progression of quantity of time in this state and then also the intensity of the state it sounds like too got progressively yeah yeah, okay. yeah. to the yeah. point where there was one day I held like I actually held like a wild animal here in, mm-hmm. in the days then I would it was like as if something would just snap mm-hmm. and I would scream and howl like an animal mm-hmm distress pure distress mm-hmm. so in 2021 um I just reached bottom I really did and I started to there was one day when I just kind of snapped and I lit a cigarette I grabbed a bottle of wine mm-hmm. and I lit a cigarette and I hadn't smoked in since 2017 I hadn't drank and I was sitting outside with the cigarette smoking the cigarette and had the bottle of wine on the ground and I had no intention of drinking it. Hmm. Like, and as in, I, it's not that I had no intention of drinking it. I didn't want to drink it. Hmm. But there was a part in me taking over that was like, I will do anything to, feel to, to, to not feel it, to numb it. Like I will, I, in fact, at this point, I think I want to kill it. Yeah. And then I got scared because I, I live in a lakeside town and I had a vision and this was why I gave up alcohol in the first place because when I gave up alcohol, I was living in the forest and I did not feel safe. Mm. I was afraid that if I drank, 
on top of this distress, I would walk into the forest and not walk out again. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the exact same thing happened here in March of 2021. I became scared that I was going to like skull a bottle of vodka and go mm -hmm. down to the lake. Mm -hmm. I was so distressed. So I went to my doctor then who had been kind of, I had felt quite gaslit, you know, and she'd be like, just eat more organic foods and drink more water and ashwagandha and take fucking reishi mushrooms and niacin. And I was like, fuck off I've done it all now at this stage there's nothing I haven't tried I was doing Wim Hof yeah. ice you know bleeding ice yeah. women there was nothing I was very content that there was nothing I hadn't tried so when I said to her I said uh, I said I think we're gonna have to or I, I didn't say I think I said I want to try medication it's the last thing yeah I don't know why Amanda, there must be stigma because it was the very, very. I was going to ask, had you considered it before and said, no, 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 just more Rishi. I wrote no, it no, off. No, I'll do the ice baths. I wrote it off for several reasons. One of the reasons um, being I had had um, a bad experience with antidepressants before. Oh, okay. Right? No. That's me telling, uh, that would have been me, like 20 something year old me. I have had a bad experience with antidepressants. 40 something year old me will tell you that it wasn't a bad experience with antidepressants. It was alcohol. Right, right. But your brain, that was what it was in your, your brain connection I blamed, was, I it was the, yeah. I blamed them because it wasn't the drinking. Yeah, right. Yeah, the drinking yeah. isn't the reason I ended up being arrested. No, it was definitely the book. Gotcha, gotcha. So you had this association to antidepressants that, Yes. I want to go back. To I was afraid to be quite frank and honest. I was afraid also of losing my orgasm. Interesting. Of course. Yeah. That was a big deal to me. I, a I think that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, so I was afraid of that. And I was also a bit too shy to bring it up to my doctor. Uh-huh. Because it felt really weird being like, uh, I'm fucking suicidal, but I don't want a solution if I can't have an orgasm. Like it just, it felt like such a fucking um, unreasonable request. Yeah. But if you think about it, like look at how snookered a woman is. It's like, am I going to sacrifice that one bit of fucking, because I, in my head. There's one like, piece of pleasure in my life. <laughs> I was like, I've given up alcohol, I've given up cigarettes. Like if I, if I have to give up wanking I'll fucking die you know like it's what's left Sorry, I'm very crude, totally but I'm, fair I, totally fair the reason I'm being crude is it's, it's helping me to get it out and I I do want to speak about it because I do think that it's a part of this whole equation that's really important yeah you know like where reproductive rights and women's pleasure like they're all for our suffering but who's for our pleasure you know yeah yeah so that was a trade-off I was really worried about. And until the until it got to a point where I was scared I was going to fucking jump in the lake. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll have to take my chances. So I said it to my doctor and I kind of gave her the ultimatum because she didn't re she was very reluctant to prescribe. Mm, and I yeah, and I said to her, Well, look at I said, I'm reluctant to take them. But at this point, yeah. it would be reckless not to. Yeah. Um, 
So she prescribed me and it was another three weeks before I did it because I was only coming out of a cycle. I came out of a cycle then, you know, that kind of a way. Mm-hmm. And when all everything is restored, you f- yeah. it's not that you forget, but it's like as if I'm th- I'm never going to fall for that again. Yeah, it's Jekyll and Hyde. So uh, I put the tablets in my vanity cabinet and I gave I, I was like. If it happens again. OK. And it did. Was it just the just the following month or the following what three weeks later and I actually ran I was in this room Hmm. and I was tolerate it I was trying to cope and I was trying to white knuckle it and I just said fuck it and I actually ran from this room to my vanity cabinet and very like dramatically like in a movie I just fucking shoved the tablet down my neck and within within two weeks I was a different person what made you keep taking it, even though it took two weeks to to transform? Did how quickly did you feel right. any relief? Uh, I felt. Do you know the coming up feeling? I don't know if you know that. Like when you first start taking the medication, you could feel your uh, uh, all this like your jaw, your your yawning, and your. So I could feel pretty much straight away because I am quite sensitive. Yeah. Straight away, I could feel the um, the medicine. It did happen where my, um, you know, like I wasn't able to climax on the medication and I was fucking No, gutted. your worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really gutted. I was like, this just, this is no life. So um, I, I fucking ranted in a menopause, not ranted, but I, I put in a flare up in a menopause group. I was like, yeah. fuck, I'm no. you know, I don't like the trade-off. And then one of the women the power of women talking to women yes yeah one of the women said to me are you taking generic or brand no way yeah I said generic she said go back she said take the brand and it'll it'll resolve itself she said the same thing happened to me and within a week I was fucking all hunky-dory again you know stop it so I changed to but when I was when I went to the chemist for my first prescription Mm-hmm. I was prescribed the brand, but in the chemist, they said, would you not just go with the generic? Sure. Everybody buys the generic. They're half the price. Yeah. And I said, and I did the same medication. She said the exact same, yeah. no difference. So I went with the gen- generic because she told me it was half the price. Now over here, we're very lucky yeah. that brand Lexapro is like 30 quid. And the generic version is like a tenner. Okay. So I don't know what any of that means, but I believe you there's a difference. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So it's $30 for the brand for Lexapro. Yeah. Yeah. But generic version of Lexapro is like $10. Yeah. Okay. So it's three times the price. Yeah. 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 But it's still very low. Yeah. So the point about that is, so I went back to the chemist. I said, fucking take them back and give me the the, uh, brand. So I got the brand Lexapro. And just like she said, within a week, I was good again. So That's I amazing. Wow. So then I felt like, oh, wow. What? I'm, <laughs> I felt stupid then for holding off for so long. Yeah. How many people have not heard that little tip? Yes. The power of women, the power of talking. That's sort of what I, when you disappeared, I just kept talking and I was like, 
I hope Amanda comes back because this conversation is so powerful. We need to be having more conversations like this. We need to hear all the little pieces of people's stories because when we hear all the pieces of everyone's stories, we start puzzling together our own. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so do you mind sharing how long now you've been um, managing? I don't know if that's the right word with Lexapro and uh, regulating with Lexapro and, and how that's been. Yes. So it'll be, it's coming up on two years now that I've been on Lexapro. I'm very, very pleased with how it's going. I have no side effects. Um, I feel very smooth and even tempered. I even feel like good tempered, you know, like I'm in a good mood. It's not just that Mm. I'm not in a bad mood. Yeah. Um, I feel very, when I say regulated, the because the bottom has been, so what was happening was it was too easy for me to fall beneath that fucking line. Yeah. So now I tend to like the bottom, I feel like I have a good solid ground under me and the arse is not going to fall out of it. And I'm finally, only in the last two years, really getting to experience the power of coaching. Wow. Because. Because you can I, receive the tools and use the tools in a completely different way. Yes. Yeah. Thank God, because I thought that this was all just horseshit. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. once all once the actual horseshit was cleared away, I was like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. So yeah. I'm so grateful that it that and I never would have thought that. And I think I would have what's so interesting about going through your own experiences is the humility that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Because before I got pregnant. Like I had never tried to get pregnant and I had always just assumed I would just have to fucking want it and I would get pregnant. And then it was like 18 months. And I was like, what the fuck? I was almost offended. I was like, because I wasn't pregnant straight away. And then when I lost the pregnancy, I had a lot of shame apparent because apparently I had a lot of judgment about miscarriage. Right. You didn't know you had it until. Did not know until I had got, until I felt stigma. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I guess I had some fucking ideas about the kinds of women who miscarry. I was actually shocked and horrified at what came up for me yeah. Yeah. in relation to my own prejudice, prejudices. Yeah. Which made me quite unsympathetic towards my loss. I also, when you disappeared, one of the things I also said is like this whole conversation. And I'm a person who's been talking about women's health for decades, but just this conversation is, is opening new pathways of like, of places that I've seen myself judge or learned to judge or, um, and opened up new, new sympathy and new connection. And that's the power of these conversations. And I feel like the the bright side of this horrible, like horrendous last few years that I've been through as a result of all this has has done me the favor of knocking the arrogance out of me. Yeah. The arrogance of believing that none of this would ever happen to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the arrogance of or if my... it does, I'll do this and it, and I'll fix it or I'll do that and I'll fix it. Right. Like the, there's even that arrogance, like even if it does happen to me, I'll know what to do. 
Yeah. I've had that yeah. too. Yeah. Apart. Yeah. And I had to deal with the humiliation of falling apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. And learning that there was nothing to be ashamed of and that it's, it's okay to fall apart. Who are you now that you've fallen apart and come back together in this way? I often say I'm fucking Humpty Dumpty over here. But um, who am I now? I am. It's almost like I am the the human version of whatever Pinocchio went through. Hmm. You know, it's like I'm a real boy now. (laughs) You know? That's uh, who I feel now is that I feel regulated and cared for enough and supported enough and resourced enough and resilient enough to be uh, in this world, a, an example, a model, a resource for other women and to be, you know, the kind of woman who stands up and been, been like, I don't want to take an antidepressant in case I lose my orgasm. Like, I want to be that person in the world who says the thing that everybody's thinking but hasn't the nerve to say. I I will be her. I don't mind. I'm not very easily embarrassed. I think that's partly why why I went through the abortion. I think I am that person who will speak for the people. But... I can't speak for the people until I understand the thing. <laughs> and so I had to go through the thing to be able to be a voice for the people. And I am, I mean, yeah, I have fear getting up and talking about abortion all the time, but I will do it because it's important. And right. I think I, I never would have done that if I hadn't gone through it myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's sad to say that, you know, because none of, none of us want to ever imagine ourselves as being without empathy or or judgmental or having. But if if we have that internalized stigma, that's not our fault either. So it's it, like it's it's a real mindfuck because it's almost like you go through the thing and then you're also so you're like. You go through the event and then you also are confronted with your all the surprise prejudices that you had about the thing. And now you are yeah. that which you used to point your finger at. Yeah. Yeah. Alienate. And you're like, oh, well, now I feel like a right fucking asshole. Yeah. You used the word earlier a few times, the complexity, you know, it's just like the it's it's just so many layers that we're moving through. So many layers. Um, you know and perspectives and all of that and you know like one of the things about um uh, pregnancy loss I and like I said I really am at a I struggle to say miscarriage but pregnant and pregnancy loss covers it all you know because even if your choice is to um is to terminate a pregnancy you still are losing even if it's your choice so just like my first marriage, I chose to leave it. Doesn't mean that I wasn't entitled to grieve it. Yeah, exactly. I use that example a lot. It, it makes so it's much really, sense for people. Yeah, it's really important to know that it's there are 
so many fucking sides to it. And uh, the very fact that there is a decision being made should be honored and supported and a person should be supported the fact that they're making a fucking decision. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, um, what was I going to say about the, uh, the loss? Um, oh yeah. One of the things that, that I had to deal with and you, and you see like, so if you said to somebody, you know, I'm just recovering from pregnancy loss, they might be like, oh, blah, blah. and you might say, yeah, I had an abortion last year. And they'd be like, oh, yeah do you know what I mean so now all of a sudden your loss is different because because of, you chose it yeah uh, who pulls the fucking trigger you know like because miscarriages are also called spontaneous abortions right right yeah or, or whatever mine was called a silent is but it's the same example as divorce right because it's like oh your marriage ended I'm so sorry and then you're like I'm the one that left and they're like oh yeah <laughs> now what do I do with that <laughs> Yeah, or they they assume that it's acrimonious or that you're, you know, the amount of assumptions made about mm-hmm. the what what part of it is the actual crisis and what part of it is the actual solution. Yeah, yeah. And, w- w- you know, with my losses, well, the first one, I suppose, I was very innocent and I had told people, and there was a lot of people fucking, but anyway, I, what I got a lot of was, oh, how far gone were you? And I knew that as if that, that was, matters because well, what, yeah. yeah, they were doing in their Philofax mind. They were like, "I just need to find out how much sympathy you deserve." Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I remember telling one man, of course, and I shouldn't have because I just felt like a deer in the headlights. Way he he asked yeah. me, "Which done?" Yeah, he asked me, and I answered, and he went, "Ah, not so bad." Right. Well, now I, I can like, tell you how you feel about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're right. You know what? You're right. What a fucking ninny I am for crying oh. over something, you know, something that fucking. Yeah. Oh, I hate to do this, but I have a, I have a call in I two minutes know. and this has just been so amazing. Yeah. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate this story. Um, is there any last thing that you haven't said that you want someone who thinks they may be struggling with pmdd to know yeah what i would like you to know is that it's real and that it's you know you're allowed um it's allowed to be bigger than you mm. and you know you're allowed to be powerless against it um to the degree that you know just like that what they say in alcoholics like there's no point in trying to white knuckle something that needs a more you know uh, a different intervention just don't white knuckle it it's it's not worth it yeah thank you and if you can hopefully shop the the generic like (laughs) measure don't you don't have you know though i bet there are some people or some medications where the generic has benefits that the non-generic does not so it's like the takeaway is don't just give up try a different brand yeah, and get into talk to other women, talk to other people that are going through shit, and and be, and they might be like, "Who do I talk to?" Well, what you do is talk, be the talker. Then, yeah, you will the learn world. who to talk to when you are the talker. Yeah, yeah, it'll draw people to you, like you. Okay, where where can people find you? Lastly, if they want to learn Both more, from on you. Instagram. So th- there's no point in looking for me anywhere else except for on Instagram. So on Instagram, I am Amanda Grace ie. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Santa. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.